Today I'm going to talk about suffering. You know, if you were going to start a uh, church and do an advertising campaign and really get people excited, you wouldn't want to come out with, come to the church that talks about suffering. And I think it's something that people do skip in the Bible, or if they do go through it in the Bible, they perhaps will apply the wrong meaning of the word suffering. Um, this is the third sermon out of the book of First Peter as we've been going through it about suffering. As I was reading through this passage this week, I thought, didn't I already talk about this? Didn't we already do this? And my thought came to me, Peter must have thought it was very important because this is the third time in the book of First Peter. In this whole series on Hope for Exiles, this is the third time he's going to talk about suffering. And Peter's audience was spread around what's, what's called modern-day Turkey, and uh, they were suffering for their faith. It wasn't a physical suffering. I think we can identify. They were ridiculed. They were mocked. They were shamed. And shame, especially in a Middle Eastern culture, is horrifying. To be put down and shamed is something that is something that their culture, it, it, to lower yourself and something like that was what was happening. And it was happening to them all the time, and he's preparing them. This whole sermon series has been called Hope for Exiles because we've been talking about the fact that we do not fit in our society. The Christians at this time that Peter is writing to do not fit within their society. They are not fitting in with the Greek and the Roman values. They are not uh, sacrificing. They are not following into the uh, drunken orgies that were happening at the time. They were not doing what was happening in their culture. So the first half of his letter, he talks about what, who we are in Christ and what Christ has done. And then the second half of his letter, Peter is going to spend time telling us what we need to do because of who we are in Christ. And today he returns to the idea of how to live, how to live with suffering for your Christian faith. Now, we need to, again, as we talk about this, understand. When we are talking about suffering right here, Peter is talking about suffering for your Christian faith. There is an amount of suffering that we suffer in this world that reminds us that it is not perfect, that it is a sinful world that we live in, that this is not the Garden of Eden. Some of you may have thought it was, but it's not, okay? That we know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. We know that, um, that sickness and, and all other things come upon us tragedies happen and we realize the fact that this is not the way it's supposed to be and all of us are affected by this suffering whether we are christians or non-christians the suffering that he is talking about here is the fact that we suffer because we are christians we do not this is beyond above and beyond what normally happens this is things that happen only to christians and so when we live as exiles and foreigners or strangers in a strange land, we are going to suffer. Now, another thing we're going to talk about a little bit more, suffering does not come from God. God does not sit up in heaven and say, who's on the list today? Let's just zap them with some suffering. Now, there are some doctrines who do say that, that God is up there doling out suffering. Uh, but the Bible is very clear that God does not bring the suffering, but God uses the suffering. Okay? So when you look up and you see a suffering that is happening to you, uh, persecution that is happening, it is because God has allowed it to happen 
God has allowed people to be persecuted, especially if we look throughout the world. Today, um, if you, on your way out, you're going to get a missions update called The Worldview. And on it is about the country of Iran. If you live in Iran today and you tried to go to a church, you could be killed for that. Plain and simple. There are people that are pastors that have spent many years in prison there, have been killed for their faith. Now, God is not up in heaven going, I really don't like Iran. I'm just going to make sure that it's really tough for them. It's really easy in Bemidji, but tough for them. God uses that, though. I would argue, and this is something we're going to talk about, those church people in Iran would probably put us to shame. Those church people there that have that kind of dedication to work with under that kind of suffering are dedicated Christians that are dedicated to Christ. And that's one of the things I want to talk about. So the title of the sermon is kind of one of those oxymorons. It's joyful suffering. How to understand why we suffer for our faith and how to find joy in it because of what it is doing for us. And so let's look at the verse today. It's it's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. You can look it up in your Bible or it'll be on the screen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when the glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if someone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, who will, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. First thing we understand is that suffering works as testing for us. Now, how, if you've been a student, I think everybody here has, or maybe you currently are a student, do you ever think to yourself, I can't wait till the next test? Because nothing brings joy to a student like knowing there's a test coming up. Excitement, thrill, you wake up in the morning, the sun is shining brighter, everything feels good in your life because it's a test. Or in our job. I mean, there are tests that we have in our job. There, It could be for an advancement. It could be for something that we're trying to step up in our job. There's a test time of testing. But nothing is worse than a test that you're not ready for. Nothing is worse than showing up to school one day and realizing that you forgot that today was test day. And you thought it was tomorrow. You thought it was I'm just going to have a normal day today. Maybe we're going to watch a movie or something. And today it's like, no, here's something that's worth 30% of your grade and you have five minutes to go. And there's nothing that that fear that comes upon you as you realize you're being tested and you weren't ready for it. You didn't have time to prepare. You didn't know what was going on. So what he is saying, first of all here, is don't be surprised at the trial that is going to come because it's coming. Be ready for a test at any time. Be ready knowing that these tests are coming for you and don't be, don't be shocked. So all of a sudden, you're a Christian and you go to school or you go to your job place or you go to your neighbors and they make fun of you. Don't be surprised by that. It's supposed to happen. And you can say, oh yeah, they told me about that. I was ready for it. 
And when you're ready for a test, you can handle it. You'll do the best that you can because you're ready for it. And next, another thing to understand is that the test is coming, but it is not from God, but is allowed to, by God to test us. James 1.13 puts it this way. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So in other words, don't say, I bet you that person was sent after me by God to make sure that I was you know, doing good. No, understand the fact that God does not send these temptations to you. He does not send these tests to you, but he is ready. He is ready. For, he allows them to come to you because he wants to have a test happen to you. And a warning that comes so you will not be strayed from your faith. Now here's the tough thing that you need to understand. I went to the University of Minnesota and I got a degree, a graduate degree in education. And one of the things they taught us was that tests are good. Now, if as a student, you think to yourself, tests are evil, okay? And teachers don't like us. I remember as a teacher, when I taught, there were students that I was convinced that thought that we as a group of teachers sat around in the, in the teacher's room and decided who we didn't like. Because I, you, listen to teach, you listen to students, oh, that teacher's just out to get me. Yes, that teacher has put time into an intricate plan to get you. Okay, because that's what they're thinking of. How, how can I get my students best? And when they give you an assignment or they give you an, a test, realize the fact that they do it because they care about you. Now you say, I really wish they'd care a lot less about me. I really wish that there wouldn't be so much caring for me. But when you give a test, it puts things in your head. It solidifies things for you. And so it is a positive thing. And God knows how we are created to this fact that we need these tests because they're going to make us better. When you have a test, guess what happens? You study and guess what happens whether you want to or not? You actually learn something. Okay? Now you're like, oh, I'd rather not learn anything. But you do. And so when a test comes to your faith, when you are put on, the, put on pressure by this world because of your faith, your faith becomes stronger. Your faith becomes more defined. Your faith finds out if it's for real or not. Because like I just gave you the example of Iran, if you're in a country like that, you don't go to church because you're thinking, eh, I might give it a shot. Or maybe if the Vikings are not. Or whatever team they cheer for in Iran. I don't know. Um, maybe they're Philly fans. Uh, it could be. But I don't, I don't know. But you think about it, we don't, it is a serious business. And at this time, it was a serious business. If you are a Christian and are going to take this abuse, it tells you whether it's worth it to you or not. Remember, also understand what coming back to Peter said earlier in 1 Peter 6-7. through In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Understand the fact that trials are not going to be easy. So that the test... So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Understand the fact that when you are tested, when you are pushed in your job, when you're given greater assignments, if you're pushed beyond where you're normally comfortable at, when this happens, you will come out stronger than you ever were before. 
So God does allow testing in our life. He does allow suffering in our lives for our faith, but he knows that we're going to come out stronger on the other side. And also, it's going to remove what isn't, doesn't need to be there. It's going to focus us on God. Makes us better also to withstand the pressures of life. When we are tested a little, we're ready for something greater. When, you are, um, when you're in a sport, one of the things that, two things that I was convinced of as a, as a high school kid, because when you're a high school kid, remember the days when you knew everything? That was me at 18. I knew everything. Okay? I was convinced of two things. First of all, the teachers were out to get me because they gave me tests and things. And also coaches were out to get me because they made me run. Okay, why on earth would anybody make me run? It's hard and it hurts. And it makes my lungs burn. I don't like it. We should just sit around and shoot baskets all the time for fun. Okay, but why was that coach doing that? Because when I got in the real game, I could actually run up and down the court and be ready for it. Or the teacher did it because the teacher wanted me to actually learn something. But I didn't understand it. But what we need to understand is when we feel it, when a trial comes our way, that we're not surprised for it. And we also say, God, what are you going to do that could make me better over this? How are you going to make my faith better through this testing? Another thing, if you look at verses 13 through 14, is suffering identifies with Christ. We need to understand in, in Peter's world, if you suffered, it meant that your God did not like you. Okay? I always have a funny story about this. Um, my friends in Halak, there's a church in Halak, Halak Assembly of God, they're uh, our same denomination, and they had a tornado hit their church. Okay? It was on a Sunday night. It was the only building in town that was hit by a tornado, and it was destroyed. And so everybody started to tease them that maybe God didn't like them because the tornado only hit their church. Then they got the insurance money and built the nicest church in town, and people started to ask, maybe God only likes Halak Assembly of God because he did that. And it's always one of those funny stories that sticks in my head because in our head we think of, oh, lightning comes down and, and bad things happen to bad people and, and all of this. You know what? Sometimes when the suffering is coming our way, it's a sign that we are identifying with Christ's suffering and that we are identified with him. When people come against us as a church, we know that we're doing good things. We know that God is, make, is doing good things in our church when we start to feel struggles. Many times, just so you know, if you're starting to make inroads in your life and you're starting to move forward, there will be more suffering that will come your way from the outside trying to stop you. But all that suffering is going to do is hone your muscles, hone your skills, hone your faith to go to higher and higher states. But understand, Peter is saying it's a sign of God's favor. And this is what's interesting. He uses the word rejoice as you share in Christ's suffering. That word, just for the record, rejoice, and he also says you are blessed in, chapter four, in verse 14. Those words do not mean yay. Those are, yes, I got mocked for my faith today. Yes, this is the greatest day ever. That is what those words mean. Now, I, you say, well, that's ridiculous, Pastor. Nobody in their right mind is ever going to be happy about suffering for their faith. Well, an illustration that always sticks with me is from Acts 5. 
It says, and when they had called the, in the apostles, this was the, the Sanhedrin, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Okay, just understand this. They took the apostles, they beat them. Now, they're not just slapping them on the wrist. They are beating them, okay, with hard things that are causing serious pain, maybe broken bones, whatever. And so what happens in verse 41? Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So they took a beating, came out, and went, yes, we were found worthy to take a beating for Christ. I got to say, I'm not there yet. I want to get to that stage. But see, there is the rejoicing because they said, Jesus told us this would happen, and it happened. We must be doing something right. And what did it inspire them to do? To do exactly the opposite of what the beating was supposed to do. They were beat and told, don't ever talk about Jesus. What did they do? Every day in the temple and then home to home, they were talking about Jesus. So every time the enemy brings these sufferings against us, it's supposed to make us say, you know what? We're going to go further for Christ than we ever have before. We're going to push it farther and farther. And we need to understand that this is for our positive. And verse 16 is also interesting. It says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. And you say, wait a sec. Why would being suffering as a Christian make you ashamed? Here's the key. The word Christian at this point was an insult. Nobody in the Christian church that we call the Christian church, we use the term all the time, this was an insulting term. Oh, you're one of those Christians. No, they call themselves the way, followers of Christ. They call themselves all these words. This was a term that was thrown against us that we accepted. And finally said, okay, we're Christians. But if he says here, if somebody insults you by calling you a Christian, do not be ashamed, but let him glorify in God in that name. He says, in other words, be proud of the fact that somebody insulted you and called you a Christian. He's, he's using a term that we, and when you first read this verse, it doesn't make any sense. Well, if somebody calls me a Christian, so what? But if somebody calls you one of those, I remember there was a song in the 90s called Jesus Freak by DC Talk. If anybody remembers that song. And I remember my friends that weren't Christians didn't understand that song. They said, why would anybody ever sing the song Jesus Freak? Why would you ever want to be called Jesus Freak? I said, you're not listening to the song. I don't care if people label me a Jesus Freak. I don't care what they label me. I know it's true. Whatever they call you, Bible thumper. I mean, there's all kinds of names. I mean, think of the terms that could be used against you. You know, pers- you know, whatever can be used as an insult to Christians. Understand the fact that all these terms let us understand that it's okay. Let us glorify in his name. And we're not be put to shame. Let us glory in the fact that we are allowed to be called Jesus freaks. That we are allowed to be called Christians. That we are be allowed to be called people that are outside. Let us glorify in it. I think it's important, though, that verse 15 is thrown in here because there are a lot of Christians that are very proud about the abuse that they have taken. And there are some Christians, and I, will use the, I need to use the air quotes right here, there are some people that call themselves Christians that go marching around saying incredibly stupid things, insulting people, um, doing stuff not in Christ's Christ values, 
And they say, well, look, we're being persecuted. When somebody attacks them, they say, look, we're being persecuted. So what does Peter say? But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief. Okay, I get that. If I'm a murderer, I can't say, well, you're just after me because I murdered a person because I'm a Christian. Or I stole stuff, but I'm a Christian, so you can't come after me. And you say, I get that. Or as an evildoer, you get that. But look at the last word, or as a meddler. If you're just plain annoying, I really kind of break down that word. I broke it down in Greek and everything, and I kind of came down with annoying. Okay, there's a lot of different understandings. If you're just the kind of person that's just kind of snotty, annoying, um, meddling in everybody's business, and you say, well, they just don't like me because I'm a Christian. No, they don't like you because you're annoying. Okay? Just the simple fact. You cannot say to yourself, I'm being suffered because I'm... If you are doing what is good and having the attitude of Christ, but if you are being a Christian annoying annoying Christian person to everybody around you and being condescending, looking down at people, being judgmental in your attitudes, come on, we understand all these things. The suffering that you are taking, Peter is saying, that's all on you. That's all on you. Get your head right and understand that the suffering comes for when you show love and we show the love of Christ that's the suffering. Um, the last thing suffering does is it acts as a purification for the church. Now, verse 17 and 18, it says, For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. This is something I think we need to understand, too. Persecution will come to the church to help the church become the church it needs to be. Now, when I was in Myanmar, um, what happened in Myanmar was that all the missionaries were kicked out of the country, uh, churches were repressed, all that thing was happening. And when I went a few years ago, we were some of the first missionaries to come back in the country. And you know what we found? Christians in love with Jesus. Christians madly in love with Jesus and following after him. Because they had been pressured for their faith. And those who were maybe lukewarm in their faith... Maybe those who were on, on the fringe were like, eh, I don't really care that much. They weren't there, and only the people that were excited about their faith were there. When I went to church that Sunday morning, I was the speaker for the Sunday church. Okay, You ever see those chairs that are like this that people sit in on the platform? They have them for pastors. Those aren't nice, just for the record. Um, I was sitting right there. Everything was done in Burmese, so I didn't understand what was going on. And it was four and a half hours long. And I'm just sitting there. And I had to stay and just stare straight ahead for four and a half hours. But no one, everybody was excited to be there. There was, I mean, first of all, there was chickens running through the church, which was a lot, that kept me entertained. But, you know, there's all kinds of stuff going on. But we need to understand, the people were excited to be in the church. They were excited that some guy from Bemidji, Minnesota was going to be their speaker that day. And they didn't understand a word I was saying. When I spoke, my interpreter looked at me like this. Okay, and then he said something that I assume he wanted to say. Okay, so I don't know if anything I actually preached that morning got out there because he kept looking at me like. So they, but they were so happy to be there. They were so happy to be there. They were so happy to see me, to, to be around me. They all wanted to shake my hand and be around me. It's just like, I'm nobody. And I felt like in awe of these people. I said, you've been persecuted for your faith and look at you. How about the church in China 
when it was legal in China to have church, the church was eh, kind of growing. As soon as it became illegal and persecution came, they can't stop the Christians because suffering comes to purify the church. So the more Satan tries to throw things at the church, the more the church, more God says, bring it on. We're going to purify the church and make this church the church it's supposed to be. They're not going to deal with these issues because they're going to have people committed to Christ. So this is a concept that started in the Old Testament that judgment starts with us. Judgment starts with the body of Christ and it's to winnow out those who are actually for the faith and are excited to be a part. But there's another aspect of this. It says if you're feeling suffering right now, he turns the table. What will the outcome be? And look in verse 17. For those who do not obey the gospel of God. If judgment comes, he says, start thinking about those who are unsaved. He says, because judgment is coming for them. And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? In other words, it's tough for you to deal with the judgment Uh, It's tough for you to deal with the persecutions happening. What's going to happen when the judgment of Christ happens to those who are not saved? What this is supposed to inspire us to do is look to our neighbors and say, you know what? It's time to share the gospel with with non-Christians around us. We don't want anybody to suffer um, the ultimate judgment that will come at the end time when they meet Christ. Because earlier it talked about the fact that we suffer now, but we'll rejoice greatly when we get to heaven. But for those who don't suffer now because of their faith, they're going to suffer greatly because of their lack of faith when they, be, when they get before the judgment throne of Christ. So what do we need to do? Start looking outward. When we suffer for our faith, one of the first things we need to do is start looking at the pers- people that are causing us suffering and say, you know why they're causing us to suffer? Because they don't know Jesus. Let's, what can I do to bring the love of Christ to those who are causing suffering in my life? What can I do to bring them peace? I love Paul when he was in prison. When Paul was in prison and being tortured in prison, what happened to most of the people around him? Prison guards are getting saved. Kings are like, I'm almost a Christian because you keep talking. Paul, I mean, he is not sitting, the jail that we have in Bemidji is not the jail that Paul was sitting in. Okay, Paul is sitting in chains. He's, rats are over him. Dirty water's on him. And what is he doing? First of all, I love the fact in Acts, they start singing songs. Let's just start singing songs. Because when I have rats crawling over me and dirty water over me and in chains, it makes me want to sing. Okay? <laughs> but that's what they did. And then the other thing is he started preaching. And he starts preaching to those who are his captives. And if he can do that to people that are beating him, torturing him, you can do it to people that are picking on you. You can bring them the love of Jesus Christ. You can bring them this. He says, think about those people. And then he leaves us with this final word. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So first thing we need to do is what we need to entrust ourselves to God and see his provision for us. Now, there is a verse that has been taken out of context. There's quite a few of them in the Bible that people love to stamp on plaques and things like that, and they kind of have that cure-all. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is one of them. It says, No temptation has overcome you that is not common to man. God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, 
But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This is talking about the temptation and the testing that comes from being a Christian. Okay? For some of us here, we are dealing with something extreme in our lives, maybe that is suffering because of this world. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the, what the world brings against us. So if you're a Christian and, te- and testing comes on you, suffering comes upon you because of your faith, realize that God will give you an escape every time. Now that escape may be death. Just for the record. For many of the martyrs, they said, I will die for my faith, and that was their escape. But otherwise, God will give you the help to go through it. And you need to understand it, because I've talked to so many people, and people have used this verse to people that are going through an intense time of suffering in their life, and they say, well, I don't feel like I have the faith to make it through this. That's not what this verse is talking about. But it does mean that God is with us always. There are other verses that mean that. But God will never let us go in any situation, whether it's the suffering of this world or the suffering of being a Christian. But understand that God is there, provision. And then he leaves us with this. Do what is good. Just a simple term he just throws on the end. But you know what that means? Don't be the busybody gossip, first of all, the meddler and all that things that causes suffering and causes bad name to come to the church. But also, when you do what is good, remember we talked about earlier in 1 Peter, that causes people to come to Christ. That causes people to proclaim the Lord Jesus and say, this must be something good because I see it good in these people. It is one of the greatest testimonies that we can have. We're not doing good so God will love us. He loves us so we do good after that. That's the way it works. But when we do this, we we realize that we suffer for the sake of Christ and we can rejoice in that. But we also see the fact that others will come to know Jesus Christ and we can rejoice in that also. Why don't you stand with me today? If our prayer ministers could come forward. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, you've never made Him the Lord and Master of your life, you've never asked Him for forgiveness of your sins, you're still living with your own sin. You are living under the condemnation of your own sin. You need to understand that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to accept Jesus Christ into your life. Today is the day to say, you know what? I'm not carrying this stuff anymore. I'm not going to live for myself. I'm going to live for Christ because He has me under His control. He will take care of my life. And I want you to understand that He is here for you to forgive you, to come into your life and make you the person that you are supposed to be. But for everybody else who's here, understand the fact that I just proclaimed the gospel of, the, of suffering today to you. And we are to rejoice. And when you go tomorrow, wherever you're going, or today, and you have somebody who says, you don't get drunk with me anymore. What's wrong with you? You think you're better than me? And they start to come at you and they start to try to shame you. Don't be surprised, first of all. Don't be shocked. It's, gonna, it's there to test you. It's there to make you the person that you're supposed to be. But also rejoice the fact that Christ suffered and nobody w- suffered worse than Christ. And we identify with Him and we have the chance to say, we have the glory of God to be rejoicing in. Someday, we rejoice with Him in heaven. And also understand that God wants to purify us as a church. God wants to make us a church that follows wholly after Him. And let's do that. Let's take what the struggles of this life and let's make this our church, let's make our church a church committed after Him 
so that people will come and find people that are good, find people that are following in Him. And when we feel suffering, let us look to Him knowing that He will give us the escape, He will give us the understanding, He will give us the hope for anything that we go through. Lord, we thank You today. We thank You today that we have hope in You. We thank You today, God, that we know that suffering is coming. But God, we can find joy in it. We can rejoice. We can be blessed. The reason we are blessed, God, is because we are children of You. We have an eternal home with You. We have a we have hope in this world and eternal hope for the world to come, God. And God, let us take any suffering that comes our way and let it be a test to us. Let it be something that builds us up and makes us stronger. And let us rejoice that we have been found worthy, God. And Lord, also never let us forget, God, that those who are causing these struggles in our life, God, are people that need you, that need to hear your gospel, God. And as we, as we are suffering, God, let us bring the good news to people around us so they can know what it means to be a Christian. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have our prayer ministers available. Otherwise, you are dismissed.